everybody. Welcome back once again to another episode of Two Strike Noise. I am one of your hosts, Jeff Paulson, not sitting directly across from me this week, but still here with us is my usual co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Say hello, Mark. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here coming from an undisclosed location, and I just saw Dick Cheney. It's weird. Wow. Watch it. Wear a brightly colored vest. You don't want to get shot. (laughs) You know, he's been mentioned twice in the last two shows, I think now, just on total accident. Let's let's break that habit. But uh, nonetheless, welcome to Two Strike Noise, your weekly podcast covering all the comings and goings of the World Snooker Tour in a repeat of the Players' Championship from two weeks prior. Ronnie O'Sullivan, of course, defeated Neil Rock. Wait, Mr. Paulson, no, I got it. No, I caught it this time. This is not this is not yeah. snooker, is it? I know you no. love snooker, but we're not doing <laughs> no. the snooker broadcast. Today. Yeah, I got caught up in the Corel Tour Championship, and I got excited, and I jumped well, ahead. That's who my isn't? Bad. Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great stuff. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll cover it in another podcast. But this this is actually our baseball podcast, isn't it? Yes, this is two strike noise. This is two strike noise, not not two ball noise or whatever. <laughs> Snooker. No. no, it's not snooker. <laughs> Two no. snooker noise, whatever. Or snooky. There's something <laughs> different. <laughs> oh, so we have got a great show for you today. We actually have uh, joining us from uh, Japan, a, a guest will be joining us, and we're going to talk some Hanshin Tigers baseball. We're going to talk some just Japanese baseball and some really interesting stuff about you know, what goes on in baseball in Japan, the differences between uh, baseball, between the major leagues and the Dupon leagues. It's really some interesting stuff. Hope you'll stick around for that. I'm sorry, he's going to set me straight on the whole curse of the colonel thing I hear. Uh, he is, which is which is really interesting because, um, you know, we both had talked about it several times. And as he will tell us, this is really an English thing. Nobody in Japan cares about the curse of the colonel, but <laughs> we're going to get it straight because he's going to he's going to set the record straight as to yeah, what it uh, is, how it came about. Apparently, I have been uh, disseminating fake news and I didn't you even have, know it. You have been. But we're, we're going to yeah. we're going to wait until we, we get into the interview to, to cover that first. I wanted to start first, Mark, you know, those uh, those chess boards where you can. You can play chess, but more than one player at a time, like two or three, two or three players, three players can play as opposed to just the, the normal two. I, I'm not familiar with this phenomenon. Ah, well, there or, or Chinese checkerboard or there, there's oh. a bunch of games where, where technically, you know, they're two person games, but then they expand them to, to let more than one. Sure. I've, I've, I've had to jump into a Candyland game or two with... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So have you ever thought about a baseball game like that? With three teams or three players? With three teams, yeah. I heard something a long time ago. Kind of interesting. I don't know if we're talking about the same thing, though. What do you have in mind? So June 26th, 1944 at the Polo Grounds. It was a New York City affair. The Giants, the Yankees, and the Dodgers played a charity game against each other that raised more than five and a half million dollars in war bonds. Wow. So this is put on your put on your thinking cap and, and pull out a, a pad of paper just to write down how this worked. Okay. So each team played defense for six innings, 
three against the other two teams. And then they also batted for three innings against the other two teams. So that would be one, you know, you play defense for six innings, three innings against team A, three innings against team B, and then you go and and you bat against both those teams as well. So the visitors dug out. It couldn't have been very comfortable at that point uh, as the Giants and the Yankees had to share theirs while the home team Giants got their own dugout. You know, it was it was their own digs, so they got that. Sure. Uh, which was uh, it was pretty cool, though. They also held some contests during this game. They held a, a catcher's throwing contest. They set up a barrel at second base, and the catchers tried to, to, to throw it in the barrel. They also had a contest. This is a good one. They had a contest to see who, who could hit the ball the furthest using a fungo bat. <laughs> So just nice. for, for those of you that might not know what a fungo bat is and why it's so hard to hit with, <laughs> it is a very thin bat that usually coaches use to hit ground balls because they can't, you can't really hit a ball very far with such a small, thin bat. The winner uh, of that was the Giants' Cal McLish, whose full given name was Calvin Coolidge Julius Caesar's Tuscahama McLish. Oh my gosh, that's the same name as my cousin. Yeah, does he just shorten it down to Cal as well? Uh, Roger. Roger, oh, that makes sense. They uh, also had a base running contest where the Yankees' Snuffy Sternweiss came out victorious. Oh my gosh, Snuffy. Snuffy Sternweiss. Uh, Milton Burrell did a short set, as did Al Shat. That's outstanding. Now, I did not know who Al Shat was, but he was dubbed the Clown Prince of Baseball. At that point, a title apparently later taken over by our, our favorite Max Patkem. Yes. But I don't I don't know anything about Al Shat, but the Clown Prince title kind of perked my ears because of Max Patkin. The uh, the Dodgers were scheduled to play a doubleheader in Chicago the day after. So they had to catch a train after the eighth inning and they left with a five to zero to zero lead. And despite not being there, the Dodgers held on to win, the final score being 5-1-0, to one to zero, with the Yankees being that team that scored the lone run. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and it raised, like, you said $5.5 million? Five and a half. At, at, and this was in 1944. So you, you could imagine that's a lot of money, you know, today. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I, a lot. I thought, that was, I thought that was interesting. I, I could not find any video. Does not mean there does, you know, some doesn't exist, but I could not find any video of that. That's pretty, I've never heard of that. That's super cool. That's what you find out on this show. Clown Prince Al Shot. I just did a real quick look. He's actually more famous and well-known for his steakhouse <laughs> in Manhattan. Well, there you go. He's, he's no go. Max Patkin. No, no. Max stuck with baseball. Al went to stay. And we mentioned Max Patkin, an actual coach last week. That's right. That's right. Hired by Branch. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> by Branch Ricky. Yes, he right. broke the clown barrier. That's right. <laughs> Let me try it again. <laughs> yes, that's right. Absolutely. Hired by Bill Veck. So um, this is a new thing all of a sudden. Minor league teams take on new names for a couple of games during the season now. This is a thing. Yeah. So what's with that? I, I don't know, but like the Salem Red Sox are are they're going to be the beer mongers for a game or two, and every team okay. seems to be doing this. It, it's to a why do you even name your team? Why why don't you just have a sponsor 
and then every you know month or every couple of weeks change your name all that new merchandise yeah that's what it's for yeah so i had a question for you what would the mariners be if they changed their name for for a weekend that that is a good question and off the top of my head pilots uh, well i think that's been done (laughs) <laughs> doesn't mean you can't do it again well you got to think what 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 would sell you know i mean would we call ourselves baristas how about the sasquatches or just no. the sasquatch you know how you might just have yep. one sometimes you're the ducks and sometimes you're sometimes yep. you're the duck we could just be the seattle sasquatch they could be the sonics nobody else is using that name yeah that one's up for grabs <laughs> so I, I had to think about it for Oakland for the A's. Yeah, I came up with my first one would be the Oakland. This place smells like pot, but I thought that might be a little long. So I thought I I wanted to go with the Oakland Oaks because that's I love the Oakland Oaks jerseys and all that stuff from the old yeah. Pacific Coast League. Yeah, and you know Oak, it's a good strong name. We we should we should get a list together. We should probably put some thought into this and get a list together. Maybe maybe listeners can send us their favorite team and what they would change their name to for a weekend, and we can uh, we can read some of those on the air if somebody wants to send us some of those. Yeah, shoot them our way. I I don't. You say we have to give it some thought. I don't really want to because thinking hurts. Not but, your strongest suit. Yeah. No, no. I try and stay away from that. But if someone else wants to send some suggestions in or some ideas, hey, I'm all for that. Make our job easier. Yes. on board. Absolutely. So last thing I wanted to get to today was the Negro League Museum, which this is housed in Kansas City, Missouri, somewhere I got to go. I've been to the Hall of Fame, the actual Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and this one looks just as entertaining and informative, and I really want to go and see see the stuff they've got there. I'm with you 100%. I've been so entertained by everything I've read and seen about the Negro Leagues. Uh, it just looks like an awesome place. Uh, we'll just uh, do a GoFundMe and we'll head there. Sure. So they are uh, inducting a new class. Now, I'm not sure how often they induct people into the into the uh, Negro League Museum, but they've got a new class that they're going to be inducting at the end of next month. And listen to this, these four guys. I'm I'm stoked about these four guys. I, I am a fan of all four of them. First, you got the Cobra, Dave Parker. Nice. Who was, he was still badass in the 80s, but in the 70s with the Pirates. I mean, oh, yeah. this guy was awesome. He was a stud, the Cobra. I, I remember because he used to swing on the on-deck circle. He didn't swing a weighted bat. He swung a sledgehammer. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's Oh, man, that's awesome. That was just, that was so intimidating. You see that big dude in the on-deck circle with a sledgehammer. Just it gave a lot of around. Give a lot of weight to his yeah. uh, tough guy. In to his team. presence, yeah. <laughs> bad joke. Next, yep, bad, bad, bad joke. Next, we've got Eric Davis. Oh, Love no, Eric he, Davis. He was at his time. There were there was no better player for a short while. Yeah, and I, I think if injuries it. hadn't slowed him down, he would be somebody that you know might already be in Cooperstown or would be sure. one of those guys that you know would eventually get in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next, uh, the crime dog, Fred McGriff. Very nice. Yeah, uh, great player. I usually think of him as the Blue Jays, but uh, he did a lot of a lot of winning as well with the Braves. I'm not sure. And the Padres, he was on the Padres too, wasn't he? 
I believe he was because he was part of that big trade. Well, what, I, I remember Fred McGriff because the first day that he was at the Braves, he had just been traded to, to Atlanta, and this was at old Fulton County Stadium. I remember during batting practice, the stadium caught on fire. Like, I believe it was up near the press box and it caught on fire. <laughs> they they put it out and they played the game that night. But yeah, I remember seeing him caught on fire his first day. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes they swing a hot bat. Boom, another yep. one. You are on you are on fire. Yeah, and fuego. <laughs> and the final member of the uh, the class command is Dave Stewart, my favorite pitcher <laughs> of all time. Stu. The man, the stare, the legend. Yeah, and uh, it's cool because he does uh, he does pre and post game sometimes for the A's, and they do it out in left field sometimes. So I I go out there when he's out there doing that just to stand next to him to feel his presence. That's awesome. But, uh, what that what a class there! Dave Parker, Eric Davis, Fred McGriff, and Dave Stewart. Uh, all I'm just thinking, all of them have World Series rings. That's what I I know Eric Davis does because that was at the expense of the A's. Parker does through the A's and the Pirates. McGriff with uh, uh, let me take that back. Does no, Fred McGriff think, have a World Series ring? I don't think he does because he was dealt in the Alomar Carter trade along with Tony Fernandez. And so he was on the Padres when Toronto won their World Series. Hmm. Well, that is a shame. I think. He was on the Devil Rays. The, not, they were the Devil Rays at that point, so we know he didn't win one there. He was on the Cubs as well yeah, and the Dodgers. Didn't win him there and then finished up at the age of 40 with Tampa. So, wow, that's, uh, well, no, he, yeah, that is, that is too bad. He left Toronto in 90 yeah. and 91 was their, uh, that's when they won their first World Series. Yeah, I remember that trade. That was a huge deal. And there were, there were some unhappy people. My friends in Toronto weren't real pleased with it, but boy, in the end, they were definitely happy about it. Yeah. Well, that's too bad for Fred McGriff, but congratulations to to those four for being inducted into the Negro League Museum and Hall of Fame. I hope to so, visit, uh, visit their uh, plaques and, and uh, add my congratulations to that as well. Yeah, by the time we get there, they will have their plaques up. That's, that's right. All right, so that's going to do it for our pregame segment here, our, our batting practice segment. Let's uh, get into our the first part of our interview where Trevor from the HanshinTigers.com was nice enough to stop by and uh, let us talk with him, ask him some questions, both about the Hanshin Tigers and the NPB, as well as uh, some questions about Major League Baseball and how the two leagues differ. Some really great stuff, and let's jump right into it. So we'd like to welcome to uh, our show a special guest this week. Uh, we'd like to welcome Trevor, who is uh, coming to us uh, live from Japan. Trevor, thank you so much for, for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on the show, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, so Trevor, you run, I've got to say, if... You know, I, I can't find the well, I can find, but I can't really read the official Hanshin Tigers website. Yeah, um, yours has to rival just about any kind of website I've seen for any professional baseball team. It is absolutely incredible. It, like, of so deep in terms of knowledge and, and articles and interviews and information. Uh, this is a 
an incredible website you have. Uh, Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And uh, actually, that was kind of one of my goals when I set out. Like I I wanted to kind of bring up the English uh, Hunching Tigers content up to par with anything that any Japanese person could find in their own native language. So, you know, I just I I want like, you know, my friends in America, my friends in, you know, in English speaking countries to be able to learn about the team and uh, just love the team the way that I do. So. And it's it's pronounced Hanshin Tigers. I want to make sure I'm saying it correctly. Yeah, that's right. Hanshin. Yeah. Great. And and people can find you on the internet at thehanshintigers.com if you want to check this out. You've also got a podcast that I've been catching up on, which is which is great because it it it's just like podcasts I listen to here from, you know, MLB teams. You, you do a great job with some of your co-hosts. You do video blogs after games. You do yeah. written updates. Please check it out. It's, it's, it's a, great, uh, a great website and, and a Twitter account as well. So when we talked about it, we, we talked about the, the, the championship season and, and that this was a celebration. But I think both Mark and I assumed that this was after winning the, the Japan series that this happened. But in fact, it was not. It was kind of more along the lines of what we would think of as, as like the AL or the NLCS to get into the World Series or the Japan Series. That's when this happened, correct? Well, I, I, I kind of hate doing this because it, it kind of bursts the whole curse. Like it kind of, it kind of uh, you know, uh, nulls it or voids it in a sense. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that um, the the curse is probably more popular a story in English than it is in Japanese because um, it's hard to find stuff in Japanese about the curse. Hmm. And if, if you read stuff in English, um, I think most of the English stories that are out there, either in video or uh, written form, uh, are taken from each other. I mean, they're all taken from English versions that were previously written. And as I looked back in Japanese kind of accounts of the story, I noticed that the English version has a fatal flaw in it that kind of basically means that it's not even a curse anymore. Well, that kind of bums me out. Maybe we should just lie. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes those are the best, you know, it's the best way to go about living is knowing that something is a sham, but just rolling with it anyways, right? Um, so until 2005, I believe it was, there was no playoff format. It was just, uh, you know, because it's six teams in each, uh, each not division, each league. Um, the winner of the league would play each other in the Nippon series or the Japan series uh, right away. And so what would happen then is that during the regular season, when they clinch the, uh, the top spot, I mean, they're playing for it all right after that. Um, so it's not like now where if you if you uh, finish in first and this this is MLB or or uh, NPB, uh, you know you still have to beat some of the other playoff teams. So the big thing was clinching the league, um, and still to this day, to an extent, it is even though there is a playoff format. But anyways, um, Hanshin had last won the Central League in 1964, and this was 1985. Um, and so they still had several games left in the season. I think maybe 10 games left in the season when they clinched it in October, mid, uh, mid-October. The season was pretty long. And so it was the first time in 21 years. And if, again, if you look at my site, you'll see there were probably three or four close but no pennants in between. Um, and so fans were just like beside themselves, just like delirious. Um, and they gathered outside of this canal called the Dotombori Canal. And uh, yeah, that was when it all happened. So it was still there were still some regular season games left, and they still hadn't played the Japan series when uh, they threw the colonel into the canal. 
So more, more rather than a curse, it's it's more like kind of a, a deal with the devil. They they th- they threw it and then they threw him in there. They won the series, but after that, the deal kind of kicked in, and it's like you're you're not going to win anything since then. Yeah, I mean, if if you were to call it a curse of any sort, yeah, it would kind of be that type of thing where where the devil or you know that's kind of rude to Colonel Sanders, but yeah, <laughs> um, you know the colonel said, okay, well if you throw me in, you can win this one, but that'll be it. Um, because yeah, I mean, if, right. if the curse started when he hit the water, then it ended two weeks later when they won the Japan series. <laughs> and if the, and if the curse was on them winning the central league, the pennant, then it ended in 2003. So either way, the curse is over, but I mean, it's fun to say that, uh, you know, they threw it in after the Japan series and they haven't won it since. And the curse is what, 34 years old at this point, but that's simply not true. Unfortunately, it's a great story. <laughs> Well, it's something that is completely, you know, it's been skewered so many times or or it's been skewed, I should say, so many times um, in the English, uh, you know, blogosphere or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I started to like really start like correcting a lot of these places in the comment sections, but this is wrong, this is false or whatever. And I just realized like, you know, what, forget <laughs> it, like may, may as well perpetuate the lie because it's a funner story than the truth. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Let's get back into how you became involved with well, not involved, but how you became uh, you know an Hanshin Tiger fan. So you you are not from Japan. When did you when did you get to Japan and and how did you start to follow the Tigers? So I've been in Japan since 1998 for the most part. I've taken like a year and a half off and, and gone back to my home country, which is Canada, by the way, um, and. Uh, but I was down in Okinawa, um, and if you know Okinawa, uh, pardon me, if you know Japanese geography, Okinawa is quite isolated. Um, it would be, I guess, the equivalent, but not quite the same as being from Hawaii and calling yourself American. So you know, being in, if you're in Hawaii, you it's hard to really follow MLB, both because of time differences, but also just because there's no real local representation and there's no there's no pride in following any particular team. And that's how things were with me down in Okinawa. In fact, I was surrounded by more Americans than I was uh, local people, just as far as my my social circles. And so I watched MLB still. I followed MLB and I, I did fantasy baseball and stuff. Um, and it wasn't until 2011, I moved up to uh, the Kansai area, which is where the Tigers and the Buffaloes play. And even then, I was still kind of stuck in MLB mode. But um, uh, it was a combination of a few things. Um, and I'll, I'll keep it short, but... Um, I was really frustrated in my job, um, and I'll, I'll leave the name of the uh, workplace. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'll keep it in myself. But um, a friend of mine and I were talking, and he goes, "Well, what do you like doing, or what are you interested in? What could you do to kind of offset your your stress at work?" And I kind of reflected back to my childhood, and I always wanted to be a sports journalist. And I was like, "Well, I like following sports. I like kind of analyzing sports, and I like reading and writing about sports." And he goes, "Why don't you?" why don't you look into that? I was like, yeah, but there's no real teams here. And then, you know, uh, so at my workplace, I'm sitting around in the, in the kind of the staff lounge or whatever. Right. And I see the sports papers and they've all got Hanshin Tigers on the cover every day. And a couple of my coworkers would talk about like yesterday's game and how they did and stuff. And, and that, that was kind of my introduction. Like, okay, well that could be an avenue uh, for me to just kind of, you know, blow off some of the steam and also just to get my creative juices flowing. And so, I actually started my blog uh, before I actually knew anything about the team. 
That's fun. And before I'd ever been to a game. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it wasn't like I'd been following the team and said, oh, I know I should, I should cover them. It, but rather it was like, I need something to do. And I started to cover a team that I had no knowledge about. And I just kind of learned as I went along. And if you look back at my early stuff, it kind of shows like the way I wrote and stuff. Like I knew baseball, but not very well. And uh, yeah, I didn't know the team at all. So now I'm a little bit more uh, prolific in my knowledge of the team for sure. So how, I, I, I think it's fairly safe to say the Giants are probably, if, if you had to equate them to an MLB team, are probably like the Yankees. They're probably like the most popular and most people follow them. Is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, also in terms of money, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> the Yankees are kind of notorious for, for pulling free agents out of any team that any team that's got a, you know, a free agent, uh, you know, at the very least, their name is out there, right? Like, oh, are the Yankees going to sign Trout? Are the Yankees going to sign Harper? And, and you know, fortunately, neither happened. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Anytime that a big name free agent comes out, they're like, okay, the Giants are going to target this guy. And typically, at the very least, uh, they do kind of look into signing most of these guys. And so, yeah, it's a fair comparison. Um, number of championships, they're hands down number one. But even like getting back to what you said about fandom, um, I don't know how it is with the Yankees, but with the Giants, they're almost like the default team that people will cheer for if they are casual followers of baseball or whatever. So even though they're the most popular, I wouldn't say they have the most rabid fan base. I mean, I think that goes to Hanshin hands down. Oh, so how would you, if you had to equate Oh, so so you're saying that the most rabid fans are probably Tiger fans then? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, because oh. it's there, – there's. I mean, there are still casual Tigers fans, but there's a lot of just hardcore, I mean, like nerdier than me, <laughs> Hanshin fans <laughs> out there for sure. Well, that's good. I, 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 I saw reading your – you know, reading some of your, your, your blogs and, and entries, it seemed to me like – they were kind of kind of like maybe the Cubs before the Cubs won the World Series, where you've got a lot uh -huh. of fans that might be casual, but really, you know, people that are going to Wrigley day in and day out are, are probably pretty rabid fans. So I think that's a that's a, a good comparison. I would say so, definitely. And even just in terms of like how the team operates or how the team has has had a lot of just bad luck attached to yep, it. Yep. That was another um, another where... thing exactly that I thought of. And, and that kind of brings us back to the curse, right? I mean, like a lot of the, the kind of unlucky things, quote unquote, that happened to the Cubs before they, they won it all were kind of tied back to the curse. They said, oh, well, they didn't. Was it 2008 that they were like really close? And, and Bartman with it, with yeah, interfered. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, stuff like that. And they're like, oh, there's the curse again. Right. Um, and that happens, I guess, with Hanshin as well, where like they're really close. And, and I mean, if you look even on my on my website, like I, I guess I got bored one off season. I, I made a special like profile page for each of the championship seasons. And then I even did like a close, but no pennant section. Yep. <laughs> you can see that there's probably like seven, seven years in there where really like they should have, but they didn't. So I've got one, one more question, uh, specifically about the, the tigers and, and then I'll let Mark, uh, jump in. So you said recently, I, I, and I know the emperor just abducted there and, and you, in, in Japan, they kind of yeah. go by eras. And so now a new era or abdicated, yeah, yeah. abdicated. Uh -huh. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and, and you would, that's another scam. <laughs> abducted. Yeah. He, he just, was abducted. He just, <laughs> um, 
you you uh, on your site call it several times the brutal era that just ended. Is that something that you came up with, or is that literally what Tiger fans have have referred to the the last era as? Uh, so that was like my last episode of my podcast, I believe, where I said, "Hey, say goodbye to a brutal era," mm-hmm. right? Um, I was actually playing on the name of the era, which is the Heisei era. So I said, hey, say goodbye, uh, Heisei. Ah, got Heisei it. Heisei goodbye. And the brutal era was, was simply because um, Heisei started in 1988, which was uh, the second year that Hanshin finished in last place. And then they they stank it up until 2002. And then, you know, they won those two pennants and then that was it. And they, and they didn't win the Nippon Series at all in those 31 years. And they and the Hiroshima Carp, are the only two teams that didn't win the Japan series during that 31 year Heisei era. And so in that sense, it certainly was brutal, but that's just something I made up. Yeah. <laughs> very, very it, smart, it might catch though. on. Well, there, there's, I, I've tried to make so many things catch on, um, <laughs> but I've got such a small voice out there compared to the Japanese media and compared to, you know, everybody else that's out there. Um, I'm, I'm still largely undiscovered, um, but I'm still kind of waiting for that day. Well, hopefully we can help. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, maybe we can get add a few uh, followers and listeners here. But uh, yeah, it'd be cool. You know, it comes down to uh, uh, you know someone with as much talent as uh, three of us have. We'll get discovered eventually. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> I'm yeah. banking on it. I, yeah, I just quit my oh, job. Well, there's no so. curse on us, right? Not that we know of. We'll see <laughs> no, what happens. You didn't throw any statues in a river or. No goat stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, we'll save that for the off the record podcast. Anyway. Oh, yeah. That's even better. Now, Trevor, <laughs> I got to ask you. Um, now, I growing up in Tacoma, Washington, we had a, a team called a AAA team. They were the Tacoma Twins and they were the Tacoma Tugs then the Yankees now and then the Tacoma Tigers. And now they're the Rainiers. But um, back uh-huh. when they were the Twins, Randy Bass played in Tacoma for a couple years. And, oh, cool. and I got to watch him. He was kind of one of my, maybe my first or second sports hero. I didn't know a lot about the major leagues. My dad, uh, we live right by a ballpark. So my dad took me to a lot of AAA games to see Tacoma play. So I got to see Randy yeah. Bass play all the time. And that's cool. Uh, yeah, he was, he was awesome. He could hit a ton back then too. And uh, when I just remembering from those days, I never looked at him and went, you know, I could go for some chicken. Cause that guy reminds me of Colonel Sanders. <laughs> so, yeah what, what was it what what was it about him that sort of resembled randy bass or or was that just part of the uh the myth as well well i, I mean so so just to fill in the gaps i guess on that um every player in japan or at least the main players on every team has like a, a hitting cheer song or it's called a hitting march in japanese um and so during this celebration at the canal, they were going through the batting order and they were singing the hitting march of each player uh, through the lineup. And then somebody um, in the crowd who resembled that player would jump into the canal. And so uh, the first player up was Mayumi, the second player was Hirota, and then the third one was Randy Bass. And, you know, obviously uh, 1985 Japan, Osaka anyways, or probably most of Japan, there weren't a lot of foreigners around and certainly um, not Hanshin Tigers fans and certainly not at the canal. And so I guess they looked around and they saw somebody with a beard who was not Japanese. And that was enough of a resemblance. I don't think it was necessarily like, you know, the, the, you know, Colonel Sanders is a dead ringer. Yes, for I, I was just sort of being a little facetious. So it was, it was, it was non-Japanese and had a beard. That works for me. You know, it actually describes me as well. So, uh, 
Well, you know, um, Japanese really, this is something that happens to me all the time. I get yeah. compared to celebrities all the time and I look nothing like that. <laughs> you know, I've been told I look like Nicolas Cage and I have never for a second thought that anyone was even close to write when they said that. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time I get confused with uh, Brad Pitt um, or Ryan Reynolds. Or a homeless person. Or a homeless person. Like... <laughs> well, those are yeah. pretty close. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, but, but if you come to Japan, you might actually get asked, uh, you know, you, you look a lot like this person, don't you think? Or have you ever been told that or whatever? Yeah. So you're right. Right. when I was there for the for the A's Mariners, I, I, I talked to Mark about this. I, you know, I did not expect to see a single uh, member of the A's or the Mariners around town just because Tokyo is so large. But yeah. I saw so many of them. Uh, they're just, they stick out. I mean, yeah. Daniel Vogelbach is huge, so he sticks out easily. Felix Hernandez was so tall compared to everybody else. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's if you are not uh, a typical Japanese person, it, you really did stick out quite, quite easily. I could see, I could see how they would have a hard time filling Randy Bass's shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like I was in Tokyo, this is 20 years ago already, but uh, I was watching an NHL uh, exhib exhibition game and I saw a bunch of the players too. And I wasn't around for very long. I was only there for like two days. So <laughs> yeah, they do stand out for sure. And I guess I stand out. I just don't realize that I stand out. How, how is this uh, 2019 season shaping up? When, when is the Japanese uh, regular season? Uh, is it in sync with our, our uh, major leagues or anything like that? Pretty much. Um, opening day was March the 29th and the schedule runs until the end of September. Um, but the way that the Japanese schedule works is typically there are no games on Mondays, almost ever. Uh, so it's six days a week, sometimes five if they get the extra kind of day off just because of scheduling uh, quirks. Um, but what happens then is that rainouts don't get rescheduled as doubleheaders, nor do they get rescheduled on Mondays, which seems quite logical. They get pushed to the end of the calendar. And so what happens then is currently, I think the last scheduled game, at least for the Tigers, is like September 23rd or 22nd. Um, but they're going to have a whole pile of games between September 23rd and the start of the playoffs, which I think is October 5th. Whatever rainouts happen are going to be rescheduled in there. And so they might have a game in Tokyo followed by a game in Hiroshima, a couple of games at Koshien and so on. Yeah, it's kind of weird in that way. But um, then the playoffs run basically through October. So um, I think the Nippon Series, Japan Series ends around the very start of November, maybe like the first or second of November. So not too far off the MLB schedule, right? No, it's actually pretty much in line. I'd love to get over there and see and just watch a few games between Japanese teams. I think it would be a blast and a great lettering experience. Well, it certainly is. I mean, Japanese baseball is still baseball, but at the same time, it's it's a completely different flavor. It's like it's like if you were um, I don't know if you were trying like pizza for your whole life, right? And then all of a sudden, you tried pizza made in a different country. Um, you know, if if all you've had is Italian pizza, and then you go and, and you try American pizza, and you're like, well, this is different, but it's still pretty awesome. So that's the way I feel about Japanese baseball. It's still pretty awesome. It's quite different from the American game, but uh, you would enjoy it for sure. I, uh, I've, I've watched, uh, as much as I can on television. We don't get a lot of it here, but, uh, it is a, a bit of a different game. The teams are solid and it's just fun to watch. It's, it's, um, it's a little more focused than American baseball. Their training regimen certainly is a lot more intense and that's not to take anything away from what uh, the American or major league players do. Cause I know they work hard too, but, um, it's year round here. And I think that one of the big things that defines Japanese training um, compared to uh, the Western way is that it's 
quantity over quality, I would say. Mm. And so it really looks like the players are working hard nonstop around the calendar. And it's true, but they could do things more effectively. But nonetheless, like the final product uh, is high quality because of the quantity that they put in. And that's been that's been kind of a, a bone of contention with imports, which is if if from your from your website I've gotten that's pretty much what you refer to anybody that's not Japanese that that is playing there. That's kind of yeah. been a bone of contention, right? Because they're just not used to coming in and running drills for hours upon hours upon hours just for the sake of running those drills. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, there's there's several ways we could take this but um one thing before we even get any further is that most clubs uh they don't place the same expectation on the imports as far as workouts go um they you know they they like for the imports to be there but they don't necessarily say you've got to do every drill that we're doing or anything like that like um i think the clubs recognize that uh players from other countries are used to other routines and that's what makes them the players that they are and so there's no need to change the practice that comes around the game itself that having been said, uh, yeah, there's there's a ton of running that they do. There's a ton of, of extra drills that don't necessarily seem to translate uh, onto, you know, the actual game setting. Um, but then you look at the other side of things too, like you uh, Darvish in particular with the Cubs. He's especially vocal and especially on Twitter and mostly in Japanese. Um quite critical of the Japanese way of doing things now that he's experienced the American side. Um, he's, he's quite critical and it's, it's kind of refreshing because most players don't do that. Like, you know, Tanaka has got a Twitter account and, um, some of the other Japanese guys that have come over, uh, have social media, but they tend to keep it pretty light. But Darvish actually tackles, uh, baseball related issues, especially connected back to his home country. How, uh, how do the Japanese take to Hideo Nomo? I, I, I listened to a, a great, ESPN podcast about Hideo Nomo and what it actually took to get over here to play in the big leagues. And he kind of pulled a fast one on, yeah. on his club there and was really kind of not, I don't want to say blackball, but he was kind of like the black sheep Yeah, uh, for sure. by how he, he went about that. Or is there still hard feelings towards Hideo Nomo? I wouldn't say so. Um, you know, I, I wasn't in Japan, nor was I really interested in Japan at the time that he uh, made the move to the majors. Um, but I do know that um, he he does some play-by-play -play, uh, on occasion on TV. He's kind of a guest commentator and, uh, you know, people seem to enjoy that. And he's done some ceremonial first pitches and they have like a Legends game. I think it's once or twice a year and he often participates in that. So certainly he's appreciated a lot more now than he was when he left uh, the Kintetsu Buffaloes and uh, retired, I guess. And then he, he signed with the Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> Trevor, what would you say is, um, uh, you said that Nomo has, uh, it compares the strains of Japanese baseball to American baseball, and he has some problems with Japanese baseball now. What, uh, what would you say is maybe the main concern he has? Um, well, as far as training goes and as far as like maybe rehab goes, I think maybe uh, Japan isn't quite as what medically advanced or they don't use medical research uh, to back what they do necessarily. Um, that might be one thing. Um, but then the big one, and this has come out not just with Darvish, but with some others as well, is uh, the workload that they put on the youth, particularly pitchers. And oh, okay. uh, if, you've, if you've been following high school baseball and, and the, the Koshien tournaments, 
um, you've probably heard stories of guys that throw like 800 pitches, like game in-game pitches in a span of a week oh. or, you know, just crazy numbers like that, you know, like where they pitch five straight games in, in a span of six days or whatever. Um, and that's, that's his big thing. I mean, cause he's, you know, Darvish is now quite uh, fluent in English and I don't know how much reading he does, but certainly uh, his knowledge level about stuff like that, like even, you know, I, I don't want to go as far as saying medical, but certainly scientific or, you know, just reading some of the baseball analysis out there on, on, you know, the mechanics of the arm and so on. Um, you know, he, he's quite vocal in saying, look, like, why is Japan ignoring all this sound, you know, research that's being done? Why do they continue to push their players in such a way? And so I think that's the big thing. Interesting. No such thing as a pitch count, really. There. <laughs> well, they're. I think they're. They're going to implement it. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's in the next spring tournament, which will be March of 2020. I think they're going to find it, implement it, implement it. And the interesting thing is, um, with the Olympics coming to Japan next summer, um, I think Japan is really starting to take a closer look at itself in a lot of ways, and so. Um, not just in the realm of in the realm of baseball, but in other realms as well. They're starting to say, oh, "Wait a minute, what is the world going to say about us if we continue <laughs> to do things our way?" And uh, it, you know, it's been a long time coming, so I'm glad to see some of this stuff for sure. And I, I think baseball is back as an official event, isn't it? It is, and I'm pretty excited about that because I think it's going to bring some attention to NPB both before and after the Olympics. So yeah, it should be pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. So let's talk about a couple of players. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of players, both imports as well as some some famous players. And then I want to get to a couple of questions of differences between uh, the the Japanese league and, and major leagues. Um, sure. One of the players that I, I was fascinated as I read your site, um, and you're going to have to help me when I butcher this name, is Tomakia <laughs> Kanemoto. Ah, Tomoaki. Tom- yeah, Tomoaki Kanemoto. Yeah. So this is, he's essentially like the, the Cal Ripken of the MPB. Is that, is that a good, uh, a good way to describe him? I would say so. I mean, he's kind of got, well, he doesn't have the Iron Man streak. Um, that belongs to somebody from one generation prior. But um, as far as most consecutive games playing every inning, uh, he's got oh, the world record for that. Every 1,492 straight got games. Got it. Yeah. Oh, wow. And and he, yeah. <laughs> so that would explain, mo- so I did not understand that. And your story goes on to explain that he was getting close to setting the record. And then he took a foul ball on the wrist, or not a foul ball, a pitch on the wrist and broke his wrist. And I was wondering, yeah. well, why didn't he at least come out of that game? But now it makes sense. So he stayed in the game. Yeah, he did. And yeah. then what he did the next week is incredible. Can you can you tell us how he broke this record? So if I'm not mistaken, this this was the this was to set the record for most consecutive games playing every inning. And I think the record at the time was 700 games or around that. Um, so the very next day, uh, he went into the game anyways, and uh, he essentially had to swing his bat with one hand. He he really couldn't do anything with his, it was his left wrist. He's a lefty hitter. Um, and it was his left wrist that he couldn't really do anything with. So he was just swinging with his right hand, which at least that's the that's the quote. Well, it's the right hand to use if you're going to swing with one hand, right? Um, but he actually got a couple of hits in that game. And then I think it was a couple of days later. It was within the week anyways. He was he hit a home run. And his wrist, of course, was still fractured. <laughs> um, so so the day that he set the record too, um, of course, there's the post-game press conference just to congratulate him and stuff. And um, they had to delay the press conference by it. It was either 15 or 30 minutes because he was in so much pain. His wrist was in so much pain. He couldn't sit in front of the press and handle questions. 
<laughs> so he had to get ice on it and he had to get it treated before he could meet the press. So, um, you know, quite the tough guy. There was another uh, situation where he got beamed in the head and uh, it, was, it was pretty serious, uh, but he stayed in the game. And then I think it was the next at bat, uh, he hit a home run. Jeez. So, yeah. But I mean, I re- pretty crazy. I remember, you know, during yeah. Ripken's streak, I believe he he twisted a knee or something. There was a, there was a brawl on the field, and everybody was being very careful of Cal Ripken, but he still twisted his knee. <laughs> but he's you know still went out and played. But that that the consecutive innings played, that's impressive, especially when you break a wrist. He was an outfielder, yeah. right? Yeah, he was a he was a left fielder, and uh, actually at the end of the streak, I mean, people were kind of getting a little bit upset with him staying in the lineup for the sake of the streak because he had a really bad shoulder, and uh, what what ended up happening was that his his uh, you know the relay throws the the shortstop had to come quite deep into left field <laughs> to get to get those balls for him, and even just for fielding, I mean, he he wasn't very useful at all, and so they were saying enough is enough. And, yeah, but his, his streak of consecutive games, um, he, he pulled himself out to end the consecutive innings uh, one. He told the manager, like, look, I can't do this anymore. I need to rest. You need to put someone in that's going to help the team. But then his game streak kept going. So he was coming in as a pinch hitter. He was actually, I think he was at the plate. And the guy on, on first tried to steal second, was thrown out. That was the third out of the inning. And so his, his plate appearance didn't count in the records. That, that's tough. <laughs> For some reason, he he didn't end up getting into the game, and so that's how his streak ended because of a failed stolen base attempt by his teammate. And and he later went on to manage the team, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, he had three years, and it just ended at the end of last season. Um, quite popular on his way in, and quite unpopular on his way out. <laughs> that's that's the way it usually goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to to ask about. I'm I'm actually my favorite Japanese team is the Nippon Ham Fighters, which we're playing top 500 baseball this year. So far, you know, tolerable. But uh, I like uh, this guy named Sho Nakata. Okay. Yeah. It, he uh, He's kind of my favorite player right now. I don't yeah. get to watch him very much, but I watch highlights and so on like that. Um, what? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is is this guy well-known? Um, I, I honestly don't know because I'm seeing it from the American angle. And he just seems to be like a, a great power hitter and so on. But uh, is uh, he's kind of my favorite player. What can you tell me about this guy? Well, he, um, first of all, yeah, he, he's fairly well known simply because um, even when there's no WBC, there's always a kind of Team Japan because they play friendlies with other nations or whatever. And so the, the team's called Samurai Japan. And, and he's been the cleanup hitter or a cleanup hitter on the team for several years now. So he's definitely well known. Um, and then because the fighters won the, uh, the Japan series in 2016, that also kind of brought more uh, recognition to a lot of their players. But the thing is, the Pacific League is generally less popular than the Central League, simply because of the absence of the Giants and, I suppose, the Tigers. Um, and then also because the fighters play in the remote, quote-unquote, remote area of Hokkaido, um, they're maybe not as seen as the rest of the league, certainly on right. TV. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's definitely a... Uh, a solid hitter, um, especially when it comes to power, maybe not necessarily a very high average, um, but he's, he's actually a local Osaka boy. So there was rumors, I think it was at, uh, between 2017, 2018, he was a free agent. Um, and so there were rumors that the Tigers were going to try and acquire him, but he had such a poor 2017 that he said, I owe it to the fighters to stick around and give them a better, you know, give them a better version of me than uh, they got you know, in 2017, I can't make that my last year with the fighters is kind of what he said. Oh, that's cool. One more quick story about him. Um, 
you know how they use the hashtag Showtime for uh, Otani, yes. right? Originally, that that hashtag was used for Nakata way before it was for Otani, um, simply because Nakata's name is Sho, whereas Otani is Shohei. And uh, so they were teammates, and uh, Showtime was Nakata's hashtag, not Otani's. I'm looking at a map of all the teams in Japan, and that is to get to, that is quite a road trip up there to face the Ham Fighters. They are in the very northern. Is is that how many prefectures are in that that island? Uh, that island, just the one. That that's there. Hokkaido. Yeah. That's the island, and that's the prefecture. Just yeah. One. Wow. I think we're going to take a break here. Uh, we still have a lot to cover, but we just couldn't fit it all in one episode. So we're going to wrap up the rest of this conversation with Trevor from the Hanshin Tigers English News on next week's show, where we'll get into some of the differences between the NPB and Major League Baseball, and that was some really interesting stuff. Hopefully you will all tune in for the conclusion of that. Right now, however, it is the time of the show when people start to get a little restless because they know that it is time for Second Best. Your Second Best Better than most of the rest Not better than number one Number one is better than anyone All right, so this is uh, the portion of our show where we go one step beyond what a lot of people do. A lot of people like to give give you a topic, and then they will just tell you what they think the best answer is. Well, we are nothing here if not ambitious. We like to go for two. So we like to tell you what the best answer is, and then followed by the second best answer. So... I have got a topic for today, unbeknownst to Mark, so I am going to spring it on him. Then I'll give him a little bit of time to think about his answers while I tell you mine. So, Mark, are you all ready for this? Oh, oh what was going on? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Of course, yes. Let's bring on, bring on the second best topic. The second best topic for today is kind of tied into one we had a show or two ago when we talked about the second best outfield arms. Today, we're going to go with the second best infield arms. Okay. Okay. I got a couple ideas. All right. So when I was, uh, when I was coming up with my answers for this segment, I really had to just go with people who I have seen. So I, I can't like, I can't really put Brooks Robinson on my sure. list, though everything I've read say beyond just being a great fielder, he had a good arm. I can't, I don't know, I never saw him play. So mine are going to be somewhat contemporary, but um, I am going to go with, first of all, I'm going to give you the best infield arm that I've seen. And I have a feeling this might even be yours as well. I'm going to go with Sean Dunstan as the best infield arm he that I saw. One of the first names I thought of. Yeah. Yeah. Me, absolutely. Me too. He was, yeah, he was amazing. Whether he was coming in on the ball, whether he was playing it back. Oh my gosh. What a gun. Yeah. I mean, that guy had a gun from shortstop. I mean, even if, you know, even if a catcher was running and slipped out of the box, like he would still gun it over there to first. And, you know, you'd see Mark Gray shaking his hand afterwards, his glove (laughs) hand. So I think, however, though, my number one, this this was actually a tough one. I think my number one is going to actually go to somebody that I watched in person a lot when I was uh, at the Atlanta Braves, and that's Raphael Furcal. Oh, yes. Didn't even which, think about that. Was, I, I loved Furky because he was, 
not a tall man. He was very short of stature, but he just had a cannon for an arm and he could really rocket them across uh, another shortstop. In fact, everybody I came up with except for one was a shortstop. I'll get into my honorable mentions, though, but I'm going to let you go first so I don't steal any thunder. Well, it's interesting that you say you, you came up with two shortstops because the guys I came up with are both third basemen. Nice. So so my the, the best arm I've ever seen belong, belongs to an uh, infield arm, I'm sorry, belongs to a guy who is much more well-known for his hitting. He's known for his defense, uh, but he was the master of charging uh, uh short chopper or a bunt and then just winging it across his body to first base gun of an arm a lot of people don't think about it but if you look at old footage you will understand what i'm saying i'm talking about mike schmidt ah there you go mike schmidt man whether he planted and threw whether he spun around and it didn't matter there was always something on that ball i always thought they should bring him in you know, and pitch to a righty or two since he's already there on the infield hanging out. The guy had an absolute rifle, best arm I've ever seen on the infield. No question. I, I'm yeah. jealous because I didn't get to see a lot of Mike Schmidt because, yeah. you know, that was before ESPN when he was when, when he was in his prime. So, you know, unless he was playing the Cubs or the Braves and I could see him on WGN or, or TBS, that was all I got to see of Mike Schmidt. Sure. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I tried to watch every chance I got because one of my best friends is a huge Phillies fan. And, uh, I learned to like Mike Schmidt and his love of the game. Um, uh, if you really want to, you want to get a little teary eyed, watch his retirement speech. Uh, just Google it. It's, you can see how much he loves playing baseball and how much he was going to miss it. And, uh, just an all around classy guy and a gun of an arm. So, all right. So who is your second best? Second best, and it's kind of a tragic figure, but he's also one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, Ken Caminiti of the Houston Astros. Mm, Yep. Um, I I tell you what, man, I loved watching that guy play. He could hit a ton, great switch hitter. Uh, He could, he had incredible range for a third baseman to get to almost anything. And man, did he have a gun of an arm. He, he, uh, you know, of course his career ended and, and his life was cut short. Uh, early, which was very sad because he really is one of my favorite players. And uh, I used to love watching Ken Caminiti and the Astros. You knew it was going to be an Astro. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, Ken Caminiti would be my second best of all time. And uh, I, if you don't know a whole lot about him, uh, look for some footage of him. He, he could do a lot of different things. He was a great player. He's a fireplug. He was a thick guy there and at, at, at third base. But yeah, no, he was he was somebody that I thought about. Yeah. Um, and my, I, I'll, I'll give you the name of my only third baseman that I came up with was Scott Rowland. Oh, absolutely. And, and contemporary, I guess I could put Matt Chapman on there. I know he's got a gun at third. My, my two others that I came up were another athletic Miguel Tejada and then Ray Ordonez for the Mets. Yeah. I, you know, and I'd always heard. Um, that Bill Mazeroski also had a killer arm. I did too. And, and I couldn't, you know, that was one of those names that when I was doing some research, it came up with, but again, never saw it. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. I just know from what I've read and seen that, you know, I've heard, wow, he had, cause I, I know his range was unheard of too. He would make plays in foul territory and throw guys out of first. Very well known for, of course, the big home run, but also uh, one of the best defensive third basemen of all time. Great. Well, that will uh, do it for another exciting edition of Second Best. Uh, We'll be back with another one next week. So 
If you've got uh, an infield arm that maybe we missed, feel free to drop us a line. You can find us on all of the social medias at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on both Instagram and Twitter. We are happy to hear from you if you've got uh, answers of your own for second best. If you want to give us a suggestion on a nickname for your favorite team or even not your favorite team, if they were going to change their name for a, a week, let us know what you think. Uh, likewise, if uh, you would do us a great favor, it really helps us out if wherever you're listening to us, if you could rate and review us, we appreciate that. That helps uh, some new listeners find us. And that, of course, always leads to good things. So Absolutely. We want to uh, once again thank, uh, thank Trevor from the Hanshin Tigers English News, where you can find him on Twitter, uh, the uh, HanshinTigers.com on the internet. Uh, he will be back with us again next week. We'll finish up the interview as we talk some more uh, NPB and MLB uh, stuff, which is really interesting. Uh, Mark, do you think you can make it back for that? Yeah, I th- I'd like to talk to Trevor some more. I've got some more questions. All right, so that'll do it. Uh, we will hope to see you back here again next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.